Thank you so much. This is one more time with an amazing woman. Today we have with us Tali. She is a founder and CEO of Blink, a dating app more specifically, an audio-only blind speed dating app. Thank you so much, Tali, for being here today. What inspired you to take on this interesting path? Thank you so much for having me with you. Uh, I will tell you the story about how I came up for Blank with Blink. It's actually uh, eight years in the making. So um, the inspiration came after eating at a blackout restaurant eight years ago. Uh, I, it was at a center for the deaf and the blind. And I went thinking, you know, this will just be a fun experience to see what it's like to eat in the dark. And I left with this idea that has been sitting in my brain. And, and it came from this experience of um, talking to other people at our table uh, without seeing them. So again, it was completely pitch black. We couldn't see them. And yet we had this conversation with this other couple and it was amazing. We connected with them so deeply. We were so open. Everyone was so vulnerable. And after the dinner, we left the restaurant and we saw them for the first time. And I realized they looked nothing like I had anticipated. And I realized how sad is it that every single day when we meet people, we're making assumptions about who they are, what they're like, whether or not we're gonna have things in common based on their haircut or their skin color or what they're wearing. And um, wouldn't it be really beautiful if we could get to know people for who they really are, especially in the dating context, because we write people off too easily. And especially in this modern kind of dating, online dating world, we do that every single day when we're swiping and it takes like four seconds when people are swiping, but people are so much more than a profile and a set of photos. So uh, the inspiration really came from, from that. Um, and like I said, I'd been thinking about it for many years. And what really I think um, got me actually working on it was uh, the pandemic, really, like the, the time that I had and the desire also. I wanted to transition into product management. And I was like, this is a perfect way for me to explore what it is to work in product to build my own. And now it's kind of taken off and I'm, I'm really excited to be working on it and I hope to be able to do it full time. Yes, that's amazing. I really love that story. It's very inspirational. So what was your initial profession? So I was a lawyer originally, um, lawyer by education. I lasted for about a year and a half before deciding it was not for me. And from being a lawyer, I transitioned into legal operations. It's a fairly niche space where you're applying systems and technologies within legal teams to help them work cross-functionally, access data more effectively, um, and turn their contracts into something more than just a piece of paper so they can actually make decisions long-term, find information. Uh, and so I did that for four or five years before transitioning into product management. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I wonder how then was this transition when you really started with the plan, the construction of the app, what type of resources did you use, how all of these unfolded, I'm very curious. There is a lot that goes into starting the process um, and I think it was just one night I was had it kept sitting on my brain I was like you know what rather than have it live in my brain I'm going to start mocking it up and I got on whimsical it was an app that a friend had told me about and it's like a very low fidelity design tool where you can create like mock-ups of, of what a you know app would look like and it looking back on it the designs are hideous um, but it was the first time that I actually took what was in my brain and put it out on paper so to speak obviously virtual paper um, and from there I started saying okay well if this is how I want it to look what are all the things that need to happen in order for this to work this way? You know, what are 
the the things that the the, tool, the app needs to do in order to, for people to match and the information they need to put in and how it will work. And so uh, I think the visualization was the first step for me. And in terms of tools and other things, I kind of used other resources, talking to people. Um, I think community is something I'm, that's really important to me. And I've, I've been able to find so many different communities by going on this journey and starting a, a company from, from nothing, especially as a non-technical person. Um, so really just leveraging other people and their knowledge and their wisdom and kind of learning what tools they're using, learning the, the problems that they faced and how they handled them. Um, so yeah, I feel like I gave you a larger answer than, than the one that you, you were asking for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot to do when you're starting uh, an app. And I think, again, for me, the first thing was really the design. Thank you so much. I really get super excited, especially when you mention that how it is to build an app for a non-technical person. This is the most beautiful thing because we usually believe that if we don't have that type of degree, that's why I also asked you before what type of degree you had. <laughs> because we are so limited sometimes thinking that these are the only steps that we have to follow in order to make our dreams come true. But mm -hmm. you are a demonstration that by leveraging resources, asking, connecting with people, pretty much every single thing is possible. What do you think about that, that in your experience and how these connections have you know, been for you? I love that. I totally agree that, you know, I think society tells us that if you have X degree or Y degree, this is the path that you're supposed to go on. Or if you don't have X degree or Y degree, you can't go down this other path. And it's, it's first off really sad, but second off, just, it's just not true. Um, and when I left law and I, I left legal practice, it was because I was unhappy and the path that they set out before me, given the degree that I had, it wasn't one that I wanted to take. And I think a lot of people, you know, end up continuing down that, that the paths that they're not happy with just because they can't see what else is out there or because there aren't a ton of resources on how to transition to something new because there's a lot of fear around it. You know, what if you don't like this new thing or what if you're sacrificing something, you know, a, a great salary for this uncertainty. Uh, and so I think there's, there's just a lot of stigma against kind of that. And for me in particular, I was worried about what other people people would think about me leaving law for, for this undetermined thing. And so I think instead of thinking of leaving uh, the past for something new as a failure, I think it's really important to see it as like exploring a new opportunity. And um, it might be hard, it might, there might be a lot of challenges, it might not be traditional, but if you have a dream, you should chase it. And you know, it, if it doesn't work, you can find a new dream. There's no reason that you are gonna be stuck in this next path. There's so many op options and so many um, things that you can try that, you know, don't let fear of, of uh, uncertainty keep you from trying it because you can always just keep pivoting. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. So how was the actual, uh, now you explained the design, how was the actual construction? Did you hire developers? How did you come up with this uh, specific platform to decide mm -hmm. what platform to host it or, or how does it work? Yeah, so as a, a non-technical founder, it was hard because uh, really there are two options. You can either try to find someone technical to work with to build the app, or you can outsource it. Uh, and in my case, I didn't, you know, I asked around, I talked to engineers that I knew through work. I asked if they knew anyone. Nobody really seemed interested in a side project. And I think 
unless you really know somebody who's invested in the idea at such an early stage, it's really hard to find someone technical to bring on. And so it's, it's a challenge that non-technical founders face. And so what we ended up doing is outsourcing it to a development shop. And that was a, a process in and of itself, figuring out how to do that. Because if you try to keep it local and you do it, in my case, in the United States, it would cost more than I could afford. Uh, and if you go outside the United States and do it offshore, so to speak, um, then you're encountering other challenges in terms of the time zone management and communication barriers. And for me in particular, again, as a non-technical person, I don't necessarily know if what's being built is being done with best practice in mind. And so, um, you know, again, I, I didn't have that many options given the kind of constrained budgets and limitations on my own skill set. And so I ended up going with an outsourced developer. And so far, there have been challenges, but there have also been really great things about it. And um, yeah, I, it's it's been a journey. Yes, that's amazing. What have been those main challenges and how you've been able to overcome them? The, the one big challenge that still gets me, the timeline uh, is not what we kind of had a plan for initially. And I think that's for all sorts of reasons, you know, COVID has complicated the working schedules and structures of the folks who are working on our app. Um, communication barriers made it harder to kind of get things done efficiently. Uh, and not having direct communication with the team has been um, also a great challenge. So in our case, for example, when we outsource to this uh, offshore team, we actually have a, a project manager in, the, in LA, in the United States, who we work with directly, who was communicating with the team um, in India in our case. And not having that direct line of communication actually made it a lot harder for us to execute and get things done. And after several months of delays, we essentially just asked our project manager, like, can we have direct communication with somebody on the ground there? Just so we can communicate more effectively, even if English isn't their first language and we're kind of communicating um, sporadically through Slack and not like via phone calls, can we just try to open up those lines of communication to move things along? And that actually helped uh, immensely. Initially, I thought, having the project manager in the US would make it easier, but I think actually having that direct line of communication um, has been a huge, huge uh, benefit because not only are we able to cut out kind of the middle person, he's obviously still involved, he's still our project manager and we love him um, and all the work he's doing, but having that direct line of communication has kind of cleared up uh, like time issues, it has made things more efficient. And I think it also helps that the developers see who they're building for. Um, they're not just building for, you know, their manager and his customers, they're, they're building for people that they're now talking to and communicating with, and they see that we're real humans and that we're passionate about the idea. And so um, I would definitely recommend for folks who are looking to outsource that they think about the structure of the relationship and think about like the pros and cons of each component of it and try to find a way to still stay connected to your developer directly, even if you will have somebody on the ground who's your project manager um, in your same country. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Definitely. I can see how working with remote teams, yes, uh, those are some of the common situations. The communication is something that has to be there. So thank you so much for giving us that enlightenment onto that potential challenge. Thank you so much. So what has been on the other side? One of your favorite memories so far in the journey? <laughs> uh, I think um, my favorite memories probably have to do with launching our podcast, State in a Blink. 
So given the delays that we've experienced with the app development, we decided we want to be able to give people the Blink date experience even before the app is available. And we want to also be able to show people what Blink is. And so we decided to, to create a podcast that's audio only speed dates. And we thought at first, you know, let's see how this goes. We might like it, we might not. And I have loved it. And my favorite probably experiences listening to the first dates and listening to the first episodes and just realizing how beautiful it was that people were connecting on these 10 minute dates, hearing their laughter. And obviously not all dates are going to go well, but hearing the ones that did go well, it like I got goosebumps. Um, and so that has been a really lovely experience. And I'm really hoping that other people get to have that experience as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And so how people can find that podcast? Uh, so it's on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, and all the platforms. It's called Date in a Blink. And it's mm -hmm. also linked on our website, www.theblinkdate.com. Uh, so folks should be able to find it pretty much anywhere that they listen to podcasts. Thank you. So in this journey of women in business, many women you know, around the world believe, especially when we are, have regular jobs, for example, in lawyers, accountants, people from finance, we tend to believe, as we said at the beginning, that having a business might be very challenging and very um, difficult in terms of themselves jumping onto this adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel about that? Um, do you think there is actually, it has been like, challenging like at the t at the point of impossible would you say is possible yes no what would be your position about for women as a voice for women to say mm -hmm. from your perspective from your own point of view I would say it is everything is possible um, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy mm -hmm. uh, so I think you know, there, there are many options and when you want to kind of take that leap, you could either continue doing what you're doing as your day job, whether it's an accountant, a lawyer or something else, and you can explore your project on the side in the evenings on the weekends uh, and sort of try to see like, how, how does this work for me? Uh, or you can obviously, if you have the luxury, you know, go with it full time. Uh, I absolutely think it's possible one way or another. Uh, again, I think for women, it's a lot harder. Even if you, you know, you look at the statistics, women get 2% of VC funding, that's minuscule. And the way I see it is that any startup, it's like a mountain to climb to, to try to succeed. But women, we've got some weights on our, our ankles as well. Uh, and, you know, I'm hoping that one day that percentage will become much, much greater uh, because women, you know, if you look also at the, the, the statistics behind it, women leaders, you know, and diverse leadership teams are more successful in many ways. And so don't think of the statistic, uh, you know, and how hard it is as, as a stop sign so much as a hurdle to overcome, because there is another side to it. And if you make it, you make it. If you look now at like Whitney uh, Bumble, who just IPO, the youngest woman ever to, to IPO a company, um, you know, it's possible. It's hard, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. So, Tali, what do you think that makes you feel inspired to be your best self? Because I can see you have a lot of motivation, passion, and I wonder where does it come from? <laughs> I think, uh, so I am a child of immigrants, and uh, I think a lot of my my motivation comes from that. I see how hard my parents worked and kind of being a first generation American, I 
you know, felt that I needed to take advantage of every opportunity that I possibly could to, to live that American dream. And so I think, you know, from a young age, I was constantly hustling, so to speak. I was constantly, you know, doing side hustles. And, you know, I remember in high school, there was a trip to Spain that needed, that cost several thousands of dollars that my parents wouldn't have been able to pay for. And so I sold airheads, like candy, all year to be able to fund my own trip to go to Spain. And so from a very young age, I've just been, you know, a hard worker. And I think it's just, you know, seeing my parents and how hard they work, it, it has inspired me to kind of take advantage of the work that they've taken, that they've done um, and kind of take advantage of everything that they've been able to offer me by doing all of that for me. Uh, so I think that's, that's the motivation, the passion, um, I think is a little bit different for me. The passion behind Blink is really, you know, wanting the world to be a little bit less superficial, wanting people to make less assumptions about other people based on their race and ethnicity and appearance, because we're so much more than that. And so I'm really driven by that, that passion and that vision of a world where we get to know people for who they are and not just what they look like. That is amazing. I really love it. It's very incredible. I absolutely agree with that. We live in a world that is just driven right now by the looks, right? And also the status, um, more opportunities sometimes we see, so sometimes for people who have certain looks or certain status. Mm -hmm. and this is amazing, the job that you're doing. So in terms of funding, when you were speaking about that, did you have to go out, ask for funding, how it has been, or, or let us yeah. know? How that has been, because that is an important part that many people struggle with. It's a huge part. Um, so right now we're self-funded, but we are thinking in the next six to nine months, you know, what comes next? Because it can't be self-funded forever. We sadly are not. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm a child of immigrants. Um, you know, I don't have the the generational wealth or network that other people are lucky enough to have. And so, uh, so far, it's been bootstrapping and self-funding. But in the in order for Blink to grow, we will need to either pursue uh, VC funding or kind of angel funding, some some sort of funding, or we will need to kind of get a small business loan. And so, we're trying to figure that out now. And I think that's something. You know, any startup founder will kind of face and in particular women, like I was saying, because VC funding is harder to to attain. Um, I think small business loan is a viable option and it's something that we're considering. We haven't figured out quite yet what what we're going to do long term, but uh, it, it, there are alternatives to, to funding and they're harder potentially to, to kind of explore because they're not as common, but uh, there are other ways to get where you need to be is what I'd say. And I haven't gotten there yet. So I can't provide insight on, on how to get there or, you know, the pros and cons of each, but it's definitely something worth exploring if, it, mm -hmm. if you know, folks are having the challenge with getting funding. That's amazing. So at what stage is all the project right now? And what would be the next stage when you explain that that would be the one where you need yeah. more resources? I, I like to explore that. So, 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 yeah, what so we're... We're currently testing the app right now internally, um, sort of an alpha. And after that's done, once we kind of iron out any bugs, we're going to be launching a beta. And that'll be kind of a, a group of core users who uh, have already expressed interest in the app. And we, we've got our list and uh, those kind of get the Blink experience. And once we go through that beta experience, gather their feedback, iron out any kinks, then we'll launch. Uh, we're planning to launch geographically first in Los Angeles and then in New York. And for, at that point, we will likely need um, that funding in order to kind of do those launches and do the marketing that's necessary around them. Uh, and then from there, we hope to kind of expand continuously geographically until uh, Blink is able to be international. 
That's awesome. The long-term so, dream. Yes, that's awesome. So the app wouldn't need right away, of course, more like technological funding right away, but at some point it will need it or it will be more like for the marketing? Both. So we definitely, oh, okay. as a consumer app, we need marketing is, is necessary, especially in such a crowded space uh, in order to kind of lift up above the noise. Uh, but we absolutely, we already have kind of things that we want to enhance and build. Some of it will be based obviously on user oh, feedback, but there are things that we weren't able to include in our MVP that we want to be able to build out as the kind of user base grows so that the app can, can offer them more and be um, a better kind of experience for them. So we absolutely we will definitely need funding for that as well. Yeah, that's amazing. I ask you all of these questions because maybe one of the readers is interested already with this story mm -hmm. to invest in your amazing app. That's incredible. That would be lovely. Yes, incredible. So um, at this point, I wonder um, how people can get a hold of you, how people can yeah. get in contact, or start to, you know, the, the fans of the app, how, how do you want them to reach you? Yeah, so if they want to kind of learn more, we're on social media at The Blink Date on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, if they are interested in signing up for our waitlist, the website is www.theblinkdate.com. And if folks want to reach out to me personally because they're interested in transitioning careers or because they are, again, women in tech or a non-technical founder, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Tali Metitiahu. It's a long one, but I'm sure they'll be able to find it uh, somewhere in kind of written uh, on the show notes or, or something like that. Um, so that I'm happy to connect with anyone. I've spoken to a lot of lawyers looking to leave and I'm, I'm happy to also talk to folks looking to get into entrepreneurship. Thank you so much, Charlie. Yeah. It has been an amazing experience, super inspirational. We really have a gift from you here with all of this inspiration. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you wish I had asked you today? No, um, I'm just really excited to have had this chance to talk to you and share my, my story and, and blink with you. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Tali. And see you in the next episode. Bye for yes. now. Goodbye.